Welcome to the Life and Legacy Show, where we discuss all things elder law, estate, and legacy planning. Hosted by certified elder law attorney, Tim Seckler, from the Seckler Law Firm. And now your host, attorney Tim Seckler. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Life and Legacy Show, sponsored by the Seckler Law Firm, uh, where great families make great estate plans. My name is Tim Seckler, and I am here to uh, teach you a couple concepts this morning where we're going to talk all about uh, how to set your kids up for success. So the title of today's episode is Your Kids Will Thank You. And, you know, one of the things that families ask us about all the time is you know or, or like when i ask people when they come to the, to our workshops um what is it you're looking to accomplish you know and people say some technical things like i want to protect stuff from the nursing home or i want to be smart about taxes or or whatever the issue is uh fine um but then you know some people make a more broad general topic uh comment of um uh, i just want to make things easy on my family i don't want to be a burden i uh, i want to keep the family peace you know these general goals that aren't really tied to a specific legal technical result. It's just I want to make things easy for my family. And so what I thought I would do is I would do uh, an episode with some tips on how we can put together a meaningful plan for your family to reduce their stress when something does go wrong with your health. Uh, If you do pass away, uh, uh, more accurately, when you do pass away, how can we make it so that um, you know, they're going to go through the grieving process, but we don't have to make it a, a stressful time from a financial and from a legal standpoint. And so setting your kids up for success, uh, your kids will thank you. And so if you're new to this episode or if you're new to this radio show, rather, uh, my name is Tim Seckler. I've been hosting this uh, radio show for a couple of years now. And the whole idea behind it is to give you uh, some tips, some tricks, some, uh, some information from sort of behind the scenes at our estate planning law firm on the things I think you need to do to make an effective plan for your family. Uh, And so we are an education-first law firm. I put out a ton of content, including this radio show. Each and every week I'm recording content somewhere. So you can find a lot of stuff on our website, on our YouTube channel. Uh, You can find this radio show as a podcast on iTunes or on Spotify. Um, We're putting up the content out there because I've always been of the belief that the education piece of this should really be free. It's, it's the getting the stuff done that the clients should be engaging lawyers with. And way too many lawyers are, are charging for the education piece. So let's just put it out there. And, and then the idea is that families will make uh, good decisions with good information, whether you work with my law firm or someone else's law firm. I hope you learn some things uh, to discuss with your attorney. Now, keep in mind that uh, you shouldn't make legal or financial decisions based on what you hear on this or any other radio show. Uh, this show is for your education, is for your information. This is not legal advice. If you need legal advice, we'd be happy to give it to you. you got to check us out. You can give us a call at 724-546-4227, or uh, most people find us on online. Go to Estate Plan Tim. My name's Tim Seckler, estateplantim.com, and you'll find where you can you can check out our future workshops uh, and, uh, and all the different ways that we can educate you. So let's talk about setting your kids up for success. So what is this about? Well, <clears throat> so many times, um, you know, the, the, people will do an estate plan. They'll write a will or, or they'll do something, and then 
when they pass away, the kids sort of take over as executor or trustee. Or if somebody gets sick, the kids maybe take over as power of attorney or guardian. Uh, and so um, I, I suppose we should start by not assuming that people do any planning, right? Because if you don't do any legal documents uh, and you become incapacitated, now your, your kids are going to end up in guardianship court, right? Uh, so here's how guardianship court works. If I, if I haven't done any planning, and let's say I'm a, a, a widower, I uh, have a stroke, and now my kids need to get control of the money to help make my decisions. But I haven't done any planning at all. So now we're in sort of the state's rule book, and the state's rule book says that you can't just make decisions for me just because you're my child. We have to go through this process called guardianship. Uh, and so then my, my kids would have to drag my tail into the courthouse, have me declared legally incapacitated by a judge. Then the judge could determine that my kids should be in charge. But then my, my kid, the guardian, may have to report back to the court from time to time because the judge wants to make sure that he or she appointed the right person to make the decisions, right? And so this is a pretty cumbersome legal process. It can be expensive. It can be emotionally challenging. And it's really easy to avoid the guardianship process by simply doing a power of attorney document. The power of attorney lists somebody to be your agent, your legal and financial decision maker in the event you can't do it. Now we got somebody else who can walk into any bank or financial institution with this document and do what they need to do in your best interest, and we don't need the courthouse to make it happen. So one of the things you can do, look, we can't prevent if we're going to get sick. If I'm going to have dementia, if I'm going to have a stroke, there's not a lot I can do to to prevent it. But what I can do is I can set my kids up for success and how they're going to manage my affairs and give them the legal authority to do it. So one is just make sure you get the power of attorney. Um, and then when you pass away, it's the same. We, we need to have uh, a will or a trust in place. I, I tend to use a lot more trust than wills. But either way, whether you're the executor of a will or the trustee of trust, if when you pass away, your kids take over these roles and responsibilities. Uh, if you're in the courthouse now, the person is called the executor, and they've got to figure out all the things to do, and they're going to hire a lawyer to work through that process. Um, and so, you know, the whole idea here, though, is we want to provide some tools for the kids to be able to make decisions, these legal documents, and we also want to, to give them some guidance. Um, and I'm going to come back to the what happens after you pass away piece, but, but I want to make this point. It's not enough. If, if we really want to keep the stress down and do, do right by the, the, the decision makers, your kids, um, it's not enough to just do some document and put it on the shelf, all right? Um, I feel strongly that it is important for you to communicate with your children about their future roles and responsibilities. It's important for you to teach them at least where your assets are, where you bank, uh, who the financial advisor is, who the attorney is. Um, because here's what happens way too often. Um, dad died. Dad did some will with some unknown lawyer a couple years back. Um, the kid finds out, finds out at the funeral that they're executor, right? So, so Charlie, the kid, finds out that he's the executor. Uh, now he needs to get over to the house. He doesn't have a key to dad's house, and he has to sort of, like, break in. You shouldn't do that, by the way. That's still illegal. But he gets into dad's house some way. And now he's looking through filing cabinets, and he's looking through drawers, and he's looking through folders, and he's trying to find out the big question. And the big question is, what does dad own? How much is in the estate? Where is the money? How do we access it? So the kid is just trying to put together a trail of paperwork uh, to understand what his job now is and how he's going to settle this thing. And then what happens is the kid will take all of that money, uh, all those statements, and they'll put it into a grocery bag. Here around Pittsburgh is typically a giant eagle bag. 
And then they call a lawyer and they come to our office and they come in with this uh, grocery bag full of paper. We call it we call it the BOS around here. You know, in our, in our line of work, we got to find some sense of humor somewhere. So we call this thing the BOS, and that stands for bag of stuff, right? Um, and so they bring in the bag of stuff, and in the bag of stuff is is four-year-old bank statements and 15-year-old life insurance statements. And the kid is asking us, what does my dad own? And so I'm looking at a life insurance statement from 2003 that says at some point in time, dad owned a New York life insurance policy, but I have no idea if dad still owns that policy if he kept up with the premiums. Now, I'll set it on hold with with New York life for a couple hundred dollars an hour to figure it out. But, um, you know, it's really... It's really a lot easier for your kids. You know, I've been involved in estates where we knew Dad had an account. We just didn't know where. And so the family is driving all around the county from bank to bank trying to figure out, did my dad have an account here? Um, and so, you know, it's a lot easier if you just tell them. It's a lot easier if you just say, hey, I got all my stuff at this bank or that bank. Here's a list of the assets. Here's a list of the account numbers. You don't have to share values while you're living, but we're going to figure out after you pass away. And, and it's best if we really want to give our key, our kids a, a sort of stress-free um, administration, if we want to make it easy and not be a burden, that requires them to have an understanding of what you own. All right? So, so please don't hold it so close to the chest that your kids have to piece together the puzzle later. At least leave them a list. So that's, that's a tip for how we, we can reduce... Uh, the uncomfortable, stressful situation your kids are getting into. Um, <clears throat> another thing that that um, I want to talk to you about is healthcare decision making. Okay, so I, I, we've had an experience in my own family I'd like to share with you. But but so again, we can't we cannot um, prevent if we're going to have healthcare issues. Okay, we're going to eventually have a healthcare issue, at least one, right? And so then here's the idea. We should communicate who should be making the health care decisions because if I'm a widower in the future, if I you know, don't have a surviving spouse, or even if I do have a surviving spouse, either my spouse or my kids are going to have to make decisions. If you've got three kids, which one makes a decision? Um, not all of our kids' uh, intellectual capacity is the same. Not all of our kids' maturity is the same. Not all of our, all of our kids' profession is the same to where they have the, the same life experiences. And so which kid is the best kid to make a financial determination for you may not be the same kid that should be making your health care decisions. And so we need to separate this out in a separate document. And that document is called an advanced directive, and, and what it says is, in the event I get sick, here's what you do. I don't want this. I don't want this. Now, um, that's sort of what what people refer to as the pull-the-plug document. It's, it's an end-of-life document. Um, and it's important to do. But it's also important to do a little bit more than that, in my opinion. Um, we teach a class here for our clients on the long-term care system. What's the difference between an independent living facility and a personal care home? What's the difference between an assisted living and a skilled nursing? Um, what did these things cost? How can we pay for them, right? And so I, I encourage you to consider putting together what we call around here a life care plan, which is where am I going to get my care? How are we going to pay for it? Because then, you know, if you do get sick, your kids don't have to make all this up, and they don't have to spend time wondering if it's what you would have wanted, right? We're spending Dad's money on this care facility. Is this what he would have wanted if he had his mental faculties? Would he tell us that this is the right idea? Or would he be angry that we're doing this, right? Um, or I want to stay in my home as long as possible. 
I don't care if you guys get an inheritance, spend all my money to keep my uh, me in my home. Well, if that's your goal, look, it's your money, right? And so I think that um, I think that it's worthwhile thinking this through, having the conversation. And that's why we have a social worker on our team here at the Secular Law Firm, because uh, this is not necessarily traditional legal work. It's more it's more healthcare planning than anything. And so we, we have a healthcare professional on our team that helps people figure this out. We have a social worker. Uh, her name is Megan. She's wonderful. Um, okay, so so healthcare decision. Now the the family story. I had a family member who um, got sick with COVID in 2020 uh, when you know it was it, it was real bad and, and they didn't know how to best treat it and and so um, he ended up in the ICU and he had a healthcare directive that said that he did not want a mechanical ventilator. Okay, now. For a healthcare directive, for the instructions to, to matter, there has to first be a determination that the person has an end-stage medical condition, which is essentially a condition which will result in your death despite medical treatment. Right? And if you have an end-stage medical condition, then the document says, I don't want these things, I don't want these things, I don't want these things. Um, and his said that he did not want a mechanical ventilator. But when he signed the document, he wasn't thinking about COVID. Right? Now, the document also gives you an option to say, my agent shall follow these instructions, or my agent may use these instructions as guidance and can override. Well, his document said shall, right? So here he ends up in a ICU with COVID, heavy oxygen, and it says my agent shall not give me oxygen uh, through a mechanical ventilator. And so, you know, I, I spent an awful lot of time, and, and my family, we spent an awful lot of time convincing the hospital that that we did not consider this to be an end-stage medical condition. If he needs a ventilator, do the ventilator. But it scared the heck out of me. And so now I've sort of been advising my clients that when doing these healthcare documents, we should say my agent may follow these instructions but can override if they've got better information, right? And so uh, I, I, I feel like when it comes to healthcare, we're trying – we're writing black and white documents, but oftentimes the end of life is a great situation. And, and I think if what we're really doing is planning for a situation when we don't have our mental capacity, because we would be talking to the doctor ourselves if we had the mental capacity, um, we ought to give our kids a little bit of leeway. So that's just a little tip on how I'm thinking about healthcare um, directives these days. And this is the kind of stuff that we talk about our, at our estate planning seminars, which you should check out. I've been talking about it on here for a long time. I know you've heard about it for a long time. You've probably thought about it for a long time. Why not come? Uh, it's an hour to an hour and a half of your time, depending on how great the, the client questions are, the interaction. But what we do is we talk about these documents. We talk about wills. We talk about trust. We talk about health care. We talk about the nursing home and, and how you can set your family up for success. You know, One of my key goals in this entire business that I own, this entire law firm that I own, is to make sure that, look, if you get sick, I can't help you. I can't prevent you from getting sick. You can't prevent you from getting sick, right? But what we can do is we can understand the legal and financial ramifications of you getting sick. Look, an Alzheimer's diagnosis is not a diagnosis of poverty. You don't have to go broke um, if you have these ailments, but you do have to plan ahead, which is which is what I'm encouraging you to do is come Learn about how the, the government system works. It, it doesn't work well. It's broken. It requires you to go broke. But there are some opportunities in this rule book, and, and you can protect yourself. And so I'm going to teach you those when you come to our Three Secrets workshop. 
Three Secrets to Protect Your Legacy, go to estateplantim.com. Go to the Workshops tab, and you're going to be able to find the upcoming Three Secrets Workshops. Register for it. It's free. Um, show up. Now, um, we often are running a wait list, so we'll let you know if you're on the wait list or not. But register, and then um, and then come check out what we got to say. Most people learn a lot. We get really high marks on the workshop, You know, usually five stars across the board. Uh, because people, you know, we, we take some, some technical legal concepts, we break them down in a story format so that they're easier to comprehend and get. Um, and, and people just seem to, to really enjoy the workshop. So I encourage you to check it out. Um, okay. Now, here's another thing. If, if we really want this to be stressful, if we really want to, you know, if, if what we're, we're doing is setting our kids up for success, today's episode is called Your Kids Will Thank You. Um, you know, I think most people work hard, save money, build a nest egg with the idea that when I pass away, I'm going to leave something to my family, right? There's going to be some sort of a financial legacy. I'm going to put some sort of a plan behind what happens with the leftovers when I pass away. Um, and, and my concern with a lot of people is then they go and they say, well, great, you know, I'm, I've got some money now. I'm probably not going to spend it all. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to write a will that says I'm going to give it to my kids in equal shares when I pass away. Okay, but, you know, that, that makes a pretty big assumption. And, and the pretty big assumption is that when you pass away, you're still going to have some stuff. Um, and it doesn't account for, for a couple of statistics that I, I, I like to share in here all the time, and that is that according to the Alzheimer's Association, one in three seniors will have dementia. According to some other studies, two out of three seniors are going to need some form of long-term care. And according to the state of Pennsylvania, the skilled nursing facilities, the average cost of a skilled nursing facility is about $150,000 to $160,000 a year. Okay. Well, I got a one in three chance of having dementia, two in three chance of needing care, and that care could, could be $160,000 a year today. And in 15 years, when, you know, if I'm planning for a client in 65, if we're really talking about our, our highest risk of care being in 15 years, what, what's it going to cost in 15 years? If it's 160 grand today, what's it going to be? A quarter million bucks a year? Who's going to be able to swing that, right? And so, I, um, if we're talking about your kids, will thank you. I, I think it's really important to protect some assets. There's there's ways using trusts, and I talk about it all the time, where I, why I like trusts better than wills. And the biggest reason is I want to see you protect assets. Um, if you have a will, you have not put together a plan for long-term care. You are planning to go broke paying for long-term care. That's what a lack of a plan is. If you haven't thought about it, if you haven't done anything else, it's not that we get to ignore the issue. You're planning to go broke. Um, and by using certain types of trusts, we can, we can protect you. And even middle-class families, you know, you don't have to be rich to use a trust. This is nonsense. We can protect you from these issues once you learn how to do it. Put your house in a trust, put some money in a trust, and now you're not going to go broke. And, and it's, it's really that simple. And so I really would like to see you um, take some steps to at least learn about it. what can I do to protect myself from this risk because I don't want my wife to get kicked out of our house. I don't want my wife to spend our retirement years in poverty. I work too darn hard to accumulate this stuff to lose it to that issue. Uh, and so come check out what we got to say. Now, when you do pass away, let's assume there are some things left. You, you have a legacy to leave. I still don't think it's the will um, because wills have to go through this process called probate. And so probate, by definition, is the administration of an estate through the courthouse, right? 
and, and there's been lawyers talking for a long time about avoiding probate. The three most commonly cited reasons to avoid probate is because, one, it takes forever. Two, it's expensive. And then three, certain information that we could have kept private uh, has now become a public record. Uh, and so, so attorneys have been talking for a long time about avoiding probate. I'd like to add one more issue to that is if you do end up in a nursing home, <clears throat> you can become eligible for Medicaid to pay for the nursing home and still keep your house. But here's the problem. When you pass away, the state of Pennsylvania has a claim against your probate estate, meaning you can still own your house and become eligible for Medicaid. But then when you die, the state of Pennsylvania comes back after your house at that point. Now, the state's claim is limited to the assets that go through your will, which is the best reason I have to have you avoid probate. I don't want to send your house to the probate system. I want your house in a trust because then we've protected it from the nursing home at the out front and we, at the outset, and we've also protected it from the state's estate recovery claim when you eventually pass away. So to me, oftentimes, at least with the house, it's, it's kind of a no-brainer recommendation for me to say I think you should have your house in a trust. If you'd like to learn more about that, that's one of the major topics in our, in our seminars that we do, the three secrets to protect your legacy, is why your house should be in a trust. Um, okay, so, so then that's, that's the other reason to avoid probate. But by avoiding probate, we don't avoid all the headache. Okay, probate doesn't avoid death taxes. Avoiding probate doesn't mean you avoided death taxes. Avoiding probate doesn't mean that you saved your kids from having to do any work. It just seems to me we've saved them an awful lot, in, in at least the way that we run our law firm, by, by doing trust administration rather than will administration. You save on some heavy legal fees. Um, and, um, and, you know, if we use the right type of trust, we can make distributions fast. Right? So the probate system can last anywhere from 14 to 16 months, depending on how, you know, how fast we move and the Department of Revenue and when they get back to us on taxes and whatnot. But with certain types of trusts, one of the reasons that a state can take so long is because in Pennsylvania, I don't know why they haven't changed this yet, but in Pennsylvania, your creditors, the people who, who think that you owe them money when you pass away, creditors have 12 months to come out of the woodwork in Pennsylvania to say, hey, Tim owed me money. Right? In a lot of states, it's a lot shorter than that. Um, and so because creditors have 12 months to, to file a claim, often in a state, the, the entire state is not a, a distributed until that 12-month creditor period is run. Um, now, if we use an irrevocable trust, which we tend to use a lot of in our office, which you should learn more about if you haven't, um, irrevocable trusts are not subject to creditor claims when you pass away which means two things. One, the creditors, those potential creditors, the people who think that you owe them money, um, one, they can't get the money. And two, because they can't get the money, we don't have to wait 12 months to give your kids an inheritance. We don't have a creditor rights period on these trusts. And so as a result, we can often distribute money from an irrevocable trust at month four, month five, something like that, rather than month 14, which means we really can speed up your kids getting their inheritance. And if we're talking about your kids thanking you, receiving their inheritance a year earlier because we were able to avoid probate and do this thing correctly seems to be a thing they'll be thankful for. All right, and then one more tip. One more tip to, uh, to have your kids reduce their stress, reduce their headache, and not be a burden and just do the right thing by your kids is I want to suggest to you that you love your kids way too much than to give them an inheritance outright. 
Um, you love them too much to give them their inheritance outright. And, and what I mean by that is a risk that I'm concerned about for my own family and for your family is if you give your daughter an inheritance and then she commingles those funds for a couple years with her husband uh, and then he runs off and files for divorce, now what happened to your daughter's inheritance? Um, and there's a solution for this. The solution is we give your kids their inheritance in a thing called a beneficiary controlled trust. So your daughter can be in control of her inheritance. She's the beneficiary of the trust. She can access it. She can control it. But she technically doesn't own the money, which means it's now protected from her potential future creditors like a divorce, a lawsuit, uh, et cetera. So I'm a big, big proponent of giving kids their inheritance and trust. And, and when you talk about this, sometimes people say, well, you know, it's, it's like this common thing out there in the world where people will, like, look at rich people and, and you know, and he's just a trust fund baby, right, a trust fund baby. Uh, it's, like, said with disdain, you know, kind of like somebody in Pittsburgh might talk about a Cleveland Browns fan, right? Oh, he's just a trust fund baby. Yeah, okay. But, you know, you know who never complains about the trust fund? is the baby, right? Uh, um, you know, it, it, all else being equal, if I were to receive an inheritance and the person leaving me the inheritance would say to me, would you rather have your money outright and subject to all of your creditors and all the different things that could go wrong in your life, or would you have your inheritance in a trust that's protected from those creditor issues, protected from your potential divorce? Oh, and by the way, you can still be in control of the money. You can spend the money however you want. You can invest the money however you want. The only people that lose are your potential creditors. I'd probably look at that situation and say, you know what? Go ahead and give me that creditor-protected one. I want I want the trust with the money in it. Because then later, if I decide I don't want the trust, I could just empty it out. Um, and, and so by leaving our kids their inheritance in a certain type of trust rather than outright, I, I can help you protect your kids from their potential future issues like lawsuits and divorce, which, you know, I think is, is one of the reasons your kids will thank you. Uh, and so uh, that is uh, that does it for today's episode. I hope you learned something. I hope this was useful to you, and I hope you attend one of our upcoming Three Secrets workshops. Check them out at estateplantim.com. Remember, folks, this show is for your education and your information, not legal advice. If you need legal advice, be happy to do it, but you need to reach out to us. Go to estateplantim.com, and uh, we'll get you set up correctly. Have a great week. This has been the Life and Legacy Show, sponsored by the Seckler Law Firm, where great families make great plans. SecklerLawFirm.com or call 724-841-1393.